Good morning. Today is Friday, January 27, 2023. Of course, if there are 613 commandments in the Torah, one of them has to be first. But why is it that the first mitzvah that God commands the entire Jewish people through Moshe is the mitzvah in our Torah portion, which is given to us while we are still slaves in Egypt, that this month should be for you, the head of the months. This is the mitzvah to establish our calendar to follow the cycles of the moon. Why is that the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, and why is it given to them while they are still slaves in Egypt? So, We've discussed answers to this before. Here is another approach with a critical life lesson for us. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs writes, This mitzvah is in fact the first step in the process of transforming the Jewish people from the mentality of a slave to the mentality of a free person. Because a slave has no control over time. A slave is constantly obligated to a master. Time for a slave is meaningless. With this mitzvah of how we will mark time, God is leading us to control how we spend our time. And once it is our choice to pay attention, and to be responsible for how we use our time. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the great teacher and leader and scholar of the previous generation, when his oldest son was about to be bar mitzvah, he called his son into a study, and he said to his son, I want to give you, as a present for your bar mitzvah, I want to give you the most precious commodity in the world, promise that you will guard it with your life. And he opened a package and he gave his son a watch. And he added that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter would often say that time is life and one wastes time. When one wastes time, one is actually losing a portion of their life. This is emphasized by, for the Jewish people, the next 40 years, where while they were traveling through the desert, there was no need for work, food. They had food, they had water, they had shelter, they had clothing. So if all of those needs are met, well, how do you spend your time? And that decision about how you spend your time becomes paramount in your life. This is how God started in our Torah portion with this mitzvah. Gradually, over 40 years, to prepare the Jewish people to be able to enter the land of Israel, to start a productive and idealistic society, a sovereign nation in Israel, and to hopefully make wise choices about how we spend our time. Lord Beaverbrook famously observed, 
a man will come to less harm by overworking than by overplaying. And Rabbi Benjamin Hecht writes that one of the most significant issues that faces individuals in our modern society is how do we spend our leisure time? Because we have so much more of it. In former times, most of the waking moments were spent filling our basic needs. Getting food, shelter, clothing. These took up all of our time. And there was very little time available for leisure activities for most people. Now, in the modern era, when those necessities of life can be accomplished with very little effort and very little expenditure of time, so we're now faced with the question, how do we spend our time, our leisure time? There's a classic essay on this subject written by Rabbi Norman Lamb. It's published in his book, Faith and Doubt, which I recommend to you highly. The title of the chapter, originally is an essay, is A Jewish Ethic of Leisure. It's a very important, interesting, and illuminating essay. If you ever have the chance to read it, all of Rabbi Lamb's writing is very worthwhile, and this is particularly worthwhile. He writes, Leisure is part of man's ultimate concern. It is a crucial part of the very search for meaning in life. It's a serious business, how we spend our leisure time. It says a lot about us. I would suggest that the best model for how to choose the way we spend our leisure time should be based on the model of Shabbos. The prohibitions that we have on Shabbos 39 categories of activity that we do not do on Shabbos, and each one a category with many, many different biblical and rabbinic applications. That, that framework is to cause us not to do certain activities in order to allow us to refocus on other activities, to be able to refocus on being spiritually recharged, on intellectual pursuits, on being more socially active if perhaps we were not so, so much so during the week, if we neglected our friends and maybe even our family because we're working so hard during the week. Shabbos is a time to compensate for that. So we don't do certain things in order to be able to fulfill goals and, and needs that maybe were overlooked while we were working. And similarly, leisure. The way we spend our leisure time should be a way, a time, to be able to refresh ourselves, to be able to make up for what we did not have time for when we were working so hard, in order to rebalance, refresh, relax, and be able to come to the next period, ready to put our effort to good use. Because... Let's remember, time is the only commodity we will truly never get back. So I want to share this story with you. This is a remarkable story. I've told this before, and it's something that I certainly think a lot about. Uh, I heard this 
from Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. He says, you know, we always think that there is another chance, there'll be another time, another day. If I don't do it now, I'll do it tomorrow. But every once in a while, the gates close and the chance we missed was our last chance. So he tells a story about the Jews of New York City in the early 1900s. In the early 1900s, the Jews of New York City hired a chief rabbi from Vilna, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, a, a great scholar, a man of tremendous erudition and eloquence. He could speak for hours in Torah subjects, quoting at length from all kinds of different sources by memory. No notes. When he would speak in public, people would come from all over to hear him. His Shabbos Shuvadrasha, which in those days was the main time that a rabbi would speak, hundreds and hundreds of people would come from all over to hear Rabbi Yaakov Yosef on that day. And there came a time when he suffered a stroke. And it was not known if he would ever be able to speak publicly again. But he recovered slowly. And he was finally released from the hospital just before Rosh Hashanah of that year. The Lower East Side, where he lived and where he spoke on Shabbos Shuva, the Shabbos between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they were waiting, all of the Jews, thousands and thousands of Jews, were waiting breathlessly to see if Rav Yaakov Yosef would address them one more time at least. His family and his friends tried to discourage him because they didn't think that he was strong enough. But Rav Yosef insisted that he was fine and there would be no problem and he planned to speak. But he said, I need to make two changes from what I have done in the past. Number one, he said, instead of standing, which he always did, I need to sit. And number two, instead of quoting every single text, dozens of different text sources all throughout Jewish classical literature, instead of reciting them all by heart, I'm going to have the text in front of me. I'll have the svarim, the books in front of me. But with those two changes, I'll be fine to speak. When the word spread throughout the community, there was great excitement because this was not just going to be a speech. I mean, it was going to be a great speech, a great lecture. But it was also going to be a heroic figure's refusal to be silenced, to overcome this immense adversity. And the moment finally arrived for, for Rabbi Yaakov Yosef to begin Everyone's watching him as he gets into place. He opens his books. He clears his throat. And he says, We find in the Talmud. And then he stops. And he says again, The Talmud says. And he stops. No one in the synagogue uttered a sound. They couldn't understand why he kept repeating the same opening words. 
and then he began to cry. And then he addressed the congregation and he said to them that he had begun to prepare this lecture, this address, while he was still in the hospital. And he had reviewed it over and over again, word for word, to make sure it was clear in his mind and in his mouth, on his tongue. But he said, despite all those preparations, his mind, when he began, went blank. Only a few months ago, he could have given this entire lecture by heart, with no notes. And now, he couldn't even recall the subject. And then he added these final words. See what happens to a person in just a split second. Today, anything is possible. Tomorrow, who knows where we may find ourselves. This is what we are. This is the human condition. And so while there is still time, while we can still do and see and walk and talk, we must make the right choices with our time before it is too late. My friends, I want to wish you a great Shabbos, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.